Well, we return. <laughs> we return to our series in Mark's Gospel. So this morning, I am going to be reading from verses 28 through verse 31. Verses 28 through 31. Please listen carefully to the holy, infallible word of God. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, the, our Savior, continues to warn these disciples about the days that are coming upon them. We ask, O oh Lord, that we would see the almighty sovereign plan of God working itself out, that we would be submissive to that plan as well, with our hearts devoted to the God who is in control of all things. We ask that you would bless us by your grace in terms of the salvation that you have provided unto us in Christ and in his words. In Christ's name, amen. Suddenly, Christ injects the fig tree into the discussion once again. Why the fig tree at this point? Why is he placing it here in his prophetic Olivet Discourse? After all, Christ has not mentioned the fig tree since the day after he went through the temple overturning the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons, calling out their sacrilege of the Lord's house of prayer as a den of robbers, back in chapter 11, verse 17. If you recall, the day after the triumphal entry, Christ, prior to his judgment upon the apostate religious practices of the temple, Christ cursed the fig tree, declaring that no one will ever eat of it again. Chapter 11, verse 14. Then Christ's judgment upon the den of robbers occurs. On the next day, 
Peter takes note that the fig tree had withered away to its roots as Christ and his disciples make their way back to Jerusalem and the temple. Verse 20 of chapter 11. At this point, Christ demands faith and prayer on the part of the disciples for the transition from the age of apostasy to the age of true faith and prayer for the apostolic church. Faith and prayer of forgiveness before a holy God and forgiveness of one another in the church must characterize the apostolic church in Christ's body until he comes again. Chapter 11, verses 22 through 25. Hence, in those two incidents of the fig tree, Christ is speaking of the judgment of the Lord upon the apostasy of Israel's religion and how the good news found only in Jesus Christ is a blessing of the true God. In our text, Christ returns to the fig tree and tells the disciples that they must learn the lesson from the fig tree here in verse 28. So what is the lesson? What is the lesson Jesus is teaching them? As we have noted, Christ's two discussions about the fig tree on two different days in the, is in the context of Jerusalem and the temple. It combines symbolism and realism from Old Testament prophecy that reflects the language like a parable. Like the parable of the sower, when Christ interprets the parable for the disciples on this occasion, Christ places the symbolism of the fig tree into the realistic situation of Jerusalem and the temple. We noted the structure of Christ's teaching in our previous message on verses 24 and through 27. The already and the not yet aspect of God's judgment upon apostate religion in Israel. Now Christ picks up on the leaves of the tree coming forth and thus you know that summer is near. The nearness of summer and the fig tree in full growth points to the appearance of the Son of Man being near. As you note verse 26, 28, and 29. Christ affirms that these things are already presently taking place. Verse 29, once again to repeat the already aspect of the last judgment upon the false worship of Israel is found when Christ entered the temple and completely disrupted the den of robbers as well as Christ's authority being challenged by the Jewish leadership. But this initial action of judgment also points to the nearness of the Son of Man at the gate, at the very gates of his coming in power and glory. 
the not yet completion of his judgment upon the apostate religious worship which will be fulfilled in 70 AD. Yes, on that day, the figs on the tree that seemed ready to be eaten will not be eatable. Why? Because on that day, the word of our Christ will be fulfilled. The destruction of the temple and Jerusalem by the Romans will point to the realism of the symbolism of Christ's prophetic parable. The fig tree will be withered away to its roots. The last judgment of apostate Old Testament Israelite religion will give way, will give way to the Christ, the cornerstone of the new temple of God's people who live by repentance and faith as well as a life of prayer, of love and forgiveness that will bind the elect of Christ's flock in the fruits of the Spirit. We now come, therefore, to the perplexing and most debated verse 30 in your text. Christ states there, Truly I say to you, <clears throat> this generation will not pass away until these things take place. Why is this verse so perplexing to the church as believers read chapter 13? Basically, it comes down to this. First, for those who wish to view chapter 13, the Olivet Discourse, as addressing the second coming of Christ, then the question becomes, what does Christ mean by the phrase, this generation? If the text, if, that is the Olivet Discourse is completely about the second coming of Christ, then what does this phrase mean that Jesus is saying? If Jesus is speaking about this immediate generation, how can the chapter be really addressing his second coming at all? In the second place, if a person understands that Jesus is speaking somewhat equally in this chapter about the immediate situation surrounding Jesus and the disciples and also referencing the second coming, then how is the phrase, this generation, to be applied? In my conversations with several of you over the last month, you have picked up that I have been viewing Mark's edition of our Savior's Olivet Discourse as addressing the immediate context of the apostles in the apostolic church. I have been taking that approach based on two principles that I have constantly shared with you. One is remaining in the flow of Mark's narrative, the gospel itself, being faithful to Mark's own narrative. And secondly, trying to remain faithful to the principle of Scripture interpreting Scripture. 
In my estimation, this approach is so helpful to resolving the issue that believers face to understand what verse 30 is all about. <laughs> so as we give our attention to verse 30, Jesus opens, truly, I say to you. Jesus is recorded in Mark's gospel as using this particular phrase 13 times. 13 times. I think I have put all the references in your outline if you want to check them out in the following week. It can be translated, Amen, I say to you. Christ is swearing an oath that his words are reliable. His words are true and in accordance with the will of God. The saying is equivalent of the Old Testament saying, as I live, says the Lord. Christ is the true witness as God himself to the things that are near, that are near, that he is constantly referencing in our text. Don't forget that we must remain in the context of 13.2 when Christ refers to the stones which constitute the temple will be thrown down on top of one another. And that the four disciples ask for the sign when this catastrophe is going to take place. Verse 4 of chapter 13. Indeed, Christ is maintaining before these four disciples who will turn apostles that they will be witnesses, witnesses to his prophetic words coming true. Let me underline our directive here. When Mark uses the phrase, this generation, in his gospel, it is a clear reference to the contemporary days of Jesus as well as the disciples and the apostles. Yes, congregation, Christ is informing these four disciples that, a cat, that the catastrophic judgment of God is right at the gate. It is right at the door for the blasphemous sacrilege that has been occurring for years, for years, in the temple. The abomination, verse 14, will face its judgment. The tribulation, which will encompass it, will have its day, verse 19, and seen, and it will be seen by this immediate generation as prophesied by Christ, verse 30. Now, the relationship between verses 30 and verse 31 is very interesting. Notice that Christ says that this generation will not pass away before these things are to take place in verse 30. Then in verse 31, he says, heaven and earth will pass away. So we have the generation of the apostles 
not passing away before seeing the temple withering at its roots in 70 AD, but also we are given the picture that the cosmos, heaven and earth, will pass away. Now what is interesting here is how the temple in Israel symbolized the cosmos. Symbolized the cosmos. The temple itself symbolizes the cosmos. Let me give you a few examples. The molten water basin is referred to as the sea. And the altar is referred to as the bosom of the earth. There are 12 bowls that support the water basin inside the temple, which is divided in groups of three, pointing to the four corners of the earth. The seven lamps, known as the sanctuary lights, are a reference to the lights coming into existence on the fourth day of creation. The same Hebrew word for lights is used in both places. The sanctuary lights and the fourth day of creation. The seven lights in the tabernacle and temple were also seen as representing the five known planets at the time, as well as the sun and the moon. For those of you who have been waiting for the connection between the Lord's judgment upon Israel's temple in 70 AD and the second coming of Jesus Christ, you need not look any further than the actual construction of the temple's architecture that conveys a microcosm of the cosmos, of the cosmos. We will make a further point about this connection when we address the curtain torn in two after Christ breathed his last on the cross when we come to Mark 15, verse 37. The point that we must make now is that the end of the Jewish temple is also related to the end of the cosmos. The end of the Jewish temple is also related to the end of the cosmos. In verses 28 through 31, Christ is essentially making this connection. Just as the Jewish temple is about to pass away, so likewise the cosmos, heaven and earth, is going to pass away. When the temple passes away in 70 AD, the only thing standing is the prophetic, absolute, and true word of Christ about its destruction. Yes, Christ's words alone will not pass away when the temple is passed away. It's passed away. Moreover, at the end of history, 
the only thing standing will be the prophetic, absolute, and true word of Christ about its destruction of the heaven and the earth. Yes, Christ's words alone will not pass away. Indeed, the destruction of the temple in 70 AD serves also as the preview of the destruction of the present heaven and earth. Herein, you are seeing the dual aspect of Christ's prophetic language relating to the present temple and his future second coming. In saying this, my understanding is that the Marx-Olivet Discourse focuses upon the present situation and not the future at Christ's second coming. This does not mean, however, that certain imageries cannot be transferred to Christ's second coming, like the sun being darkened, the moon not giving light, the stars falling from heaven and the powers in heaven will be shaken as the Son of Man comes in clouds with great power and glory. Verses 24 through 26. In chapter 13, Christ is displaying his prophetic office, his prophetic office as absolute authority. He knows what he says, what he predicts will surely come to pass. As one who participated, Christ participated in the original creation of bringing it forth. His word establishes its passing away for the new creation dependent and established upon his word with none of the remnants of the fallen creation. Revelation 21, 1 through 8. Yes, there is no need for sun and moon because Christ is the light that shines. Revelation 21, 23. The temple passes away. Since Christ and his word establishes that he, that Christ himself, is the cornerstone, the temple and sanctuary of the new heavenly eternal temple for his children, which begins when the New Testament church assembles presently on earth. That's you. That's you. You're already part of a heavenly sanctuary of Jesus Christ. Are you grasping the eternal significance of Christ's comments? Are you entering his word, which is life eternal?
Are you trusting him and his word daily? The evidence is in. The evidence is in. Christ does not forsake his own word. Eternal life is living by Christ's words. Eternal life is having the word of Christ in your heart daily to sustain you in every trial that you address or that addresses you. The apostles came to know this in their own lives. For them, the Jewish temple passed away as they embraced by faith and prayer the life which the Spirit of Christ placed in their hearts, worshiping the living temple of Jesus Christ. Is that where your heart is today? Is your heart here this morning worshiping the temple of the Holy Spirit in Christ? Their lives became focused not, not upon the silliness of people in our own age, even within the church, upon the transformation of the empirical heaven and earth, which Christ here clearly, clearly promises is going to pass away like the temple. But place your confidence, your security upon Christ's proclamation of the good news, Jesus Christ as the Son of God, who takes Christ's precious children from a pilgrim journey in this world to heavenly life in glory, having our names, our names written in the book of the Lamb. Look into your own heart this morning. This is essential. This is essential in being a follower of Jesus Christ, of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. How much are you embracing Christ's word of saving grace only found in him? And will never, no, never pass away. Pass away. The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our God. 
the word of our Christ will stand forever. Forever. Let's pray. Our Lord and God, we ask that we would examine our hearts this morning. Do we trust? Do we really believe thy word will stand forever? Help us through the conviction of the Holy Spirit to embrace the Word of God, not only in terms of the one who has come as incarnate unto us, but also those words lifted up and proclaim from his lips. Give us trust. Give us assurance. Give us the security of knowing our Jesus. In Christ's name, amen.